0: It's uh, John, chapter 8, 3 to 11, on page 1013 of the Church Bibles, and then the Beatitude. Um, the okay. The teachers of the law, and fact, the teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, "'Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. "'In the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. "'Now, what do you say?' They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, He straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The next is from Matthew 5, verse 7, the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is.
1: Thank you, Christine. Um, David's going to come and speak to us. It's been wonderful to have several speakers in this series, Chris and Becky and David. Um, now, So let's pray for David together. Father God, we thank you for David. We thank you for his passion for your word. We thank you for his willingness to share it with us. We thank you for um, the reflection that has been going on in his mind over recent weeks. And we pray, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit you might enable him to speak your word with boldness and insight so that our hearts and our minds may be renewed evermore into the likeness of Jesus in whom we trust. Amen. I haven't turned it on. There. Good morning. Blessed are you. Happy are you. Yeah. <laughs> Highly favoured by God are you? when you realize that everything you have comes from God and everything you have belongs to God. Because when you realize that, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessed are you, happy are you, most highly favored of God by you when you're broken and when your heart breaks for the brokenness in the world because then you know the comfort of God. Blessed are you, happy are you, most highly favored by God are you. When you understand that you aren't the most important person in every story, and that true leadership and true authority comes from servanthood. Because then everything which you didn't grasp for will be given to you. Blessed are you, happy are you, most highly favoured of God by you. When you yearn, when there's a gnawing in your insides for righteousness. And to see God's will done in the world. Because then you will be filled. So we're, as Matthew said, we're four uh, Beatitudes in to our series, which is part of a bigger series we're doing this year. All year we're looking at discipleship. Um, Last term we looked at following Jesus to be more like him. And this term and this uh, Beatitudes series is part of looking at uh, Jesus, following Jesus to change the world. And of course, the more like him we become, the more able we are to change the world. And so we come to, blessed are you happy are you, most highly favored of God by you. And the Greek does kind of encapsulate all of those meanings, although we don't put them all in the Bible, because it would be a bit of a mouthful if we did. When you show mercy, when you are merciful, because then mercy will be shown to you. And I think this uh, beatitude of mercy, I would argue, is the one which brings us closest to the heart of God and closest to the fundamental character of God, because mercy is the currency of God's love. When I started thinking about this talk this morning, that was a phrase which kept coming back to me. Mercy is the currency of God's love. Um, If any of you can tell me where that comes from, I'd love to know, because I can't find it. I've Googled it. I don't know where it comes from. It's not biblical in the sense of that phrase doesn't appear in the Bible. But the sense of it is biblical. And when I first thought of it, I kind of really didn't understand what it meant. What does it mean to say that mercy is the currency of God's love? And uh, the conclusion I came to is that mercy is a transferable unit of God's love. When God shows love to us, he imparts it through mercy. And if we want to show God's love to others, we impart it through mercy again. So it's it's, this, like I say, it's a transferable unit of God's love, the currency of God's love. And all through the Bible, we see this theme of God's mercy. Um, I thought I'd throw together a slide when I was planning. I thought I'd throw together a slide with a few key verses about mercy. So I just uh, went into Bible Gateway, uh, typed in mercy, and saw what came up. Um, I'm not going to read all of these out. But we see in Exodus at the top there, uh, God revealing his mercy to the Israelites uh, in the law. Uh, And the law is underpinned by mercy. And not just underpinned by mercy, but infused by mercy. It's given as an act of mercy. But all the way through the law, we see again, time and time again, God's mercy. In the middle there, you see in, in Israelite history... David said to Gad, I'm in deep distress, um, let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hand. This is a point where David has been given a choice by God to pick a punishment, and he chooses the, to have a supernatural uh, punishment, to be punished by God instead of being punished by man, because he knows, if nothing else, even if he's being punished, he can rely on the mercy of God in a way that he can't rely on the mercy of man. Then you, uh, in Nehemiah, again, after the exile, this kind of terrible event in Israelite history, still Nehemiah is able to discern in that the mercy of God. Because even in this cataclysmic event where everything the Israelites had worked for and everything that the Old Testament had built towards had seemed to go to ruin, God still left a way back. And so there again, we see the mercy of God. So all the way through the Old Testament you have it. Then uh, the psalmist picks it up. He looks at the, um, the history of mercy. He says, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. So he looks back at Israelite history and he sees God's mercy in that story. And he translates that into mercy for himself. And time and time again, I could have filled five or six slides just from Psalms. Time and time again, there's this appeal to God. I am in distress, but God, I know you're merciful. And then in the prophets, on the bottom there, we've got Isaiah. Let the unrighteous turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And the story of the prophets really is this, uh, it's a, it's, it's a Call to return to the law, but because the law is underpinned by and infused by mercy, it's a return to mercy. Isaiah, there, Daniel, Hosea, this is a key one. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Being able to love people and know God's love, and to transfer that love to other people is far more important than any act of worship. Any other act of worship we can give, because of course, giving mercy. Is of worship. There's a lot. (laughs) Um, Again, all the way through the Old Testament prophets. Uh, It's just the Old Testament. We move into the New Testament. I'm not going to go through all of these, but have mercy on me. Those are all the times in in, uh, the Gospels where someone specifically says to Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus responds to that usually by healing. Usually it's an appeal to his uh, from someone in their sickness, they appeal to him and they say, have mercy, and he heals them. And here is all the times where Jesus instructs people, usually the Pharisees, but of course the experts in the, the law, to be merciful. Again, that call back to that, um, uh, that prophetic idea of uh, mercy, not sacrifice, and kind of mercy being fundamental to the law. And then just to complete the picture, those are all times Paul talks about it, And those are all the times it's talked about in the other letters. So it's a hugely important theme in both the Old and the New Testaments. This theme of God's mercy. And I think what we see there is that I think mercy is much bigger than just the forgiveness of sins. I think that's how we um, envisage it in English. And we have this problem that the English Bible translates a whole bunch of uh, Hebrew and Greek words all as mercy. So we have one idea, whereas they had lots of ideas. So there's this legal idea. There's the the idea that uh, mercy is about forgiveness of sins. There's... um, uh, there, there's an idea, one of the Hebrew words is related, uh, the word is related etymologically to the word for womb. And so there's this idea of kind of family love and showing kind of the sacrificial love that um, ideally exists within families, mothers to children and um, uh, within sibling relationship. So that's a, that's a picture of mercy. Um, in, in the Greek, one of the... Uh, Things for mercy, often when it says Jesus had mercy for them, there's this word used which is related to the English word uh, for spleen, it's like splegnon or something. Um, and so that evokes an idea that Jesus is walking along and he sees someone who needs mercy and it kind of hits him in his gut. And it, it's like um, uh, the Greeks believed that strong emotion came from the gut. Uh, and so I suppose in, in, in English we might say his heart broke for them. And so that's a picture of mercy as well. I think fundamentally what we see in all of these things is that mercy is about how people who are advantaged or powerful treat people who are not advantaged and powerful. It's about how God, who is perfect, treats us who are not perfect and how he puts aside his perfection so that we can be in relationship. He doesn't put aside his perfection, but he, he um, puts aside the requirement for us to live up to that standard of perfection so that we can be in relationship with him. That's where the mercy of God comes from. And when Jesus heals the sick, as an act of mercy, it's because he has tremendous spiritual and supernatural power. And someone who has nothing and is, is uh, begging on the street because there is literally nothing else they can do because they're so sick, appeals to him and Jesus uses that authority he has to raise them up. I think, as I've been studying, it's kind of come through that that is the biblical picture of mercy. It's about someone with status or power or authority and how they treat someone who doesn't have that and how they put that aside or use that power and authority to benefit the person without. So let's turn to our story this morning. There are two things which I want to highlight in this story. So the Pharisees and the teachers... Catch this woman committing adultery, and uh, the way it 's written implies that someone literally walked in on her so there's no doubt about what she 's done and they catch this woman and they take her to the temple, and their response to this uh, finding this woman in a very vulnerable weak, shameful position is to think, oh, we can use this woman for our political ends. Which is messed up. Um, And they take her to the temple, to the heart of the worship of God and they stand her before this moral teacher with great um, wisdom and authority and status so that they can make a point. And the point they're trying to make, well, they're trying to catch Jesus. And the trap that they're setting is this, if Jesus had upheld the law of Moses, which said that she should be killed, he'd fall foul of the civil authorities because the Jews weren't allowed to enact capital sentences. We know that because at the end of the Gospels, the Jews have to take Jesus to the Roman authorities in order to have him executed. The Jews weren't allowed to do it of their own authority. And so if Jesus had said, yes, we should execute her, that would have been um, gone in the face of the, uh, the Roman um, rulers, um, the, the civic rulers. But of course, if he'd said, no, we should show her mercy, we should be forgiving, then that suddenly looks as if he doesn't have the moral authority which he's claiming. He doesn't speak for the law. And so this is a trap which the Pharisees set using this this vulnerable young woman. And what Jesus does is he bends down and he draws it on the ground. Now, if you're anything like me, this is one of the more frustrating verses in Scripture because it doesn't tell us what he was writing you know, I always say, would it kill John to just <laughs> fill in that detail? But, and and some of the commentaries that you read will try and work out what he might have been writing. But there's no way of knowing. It's a bit of an academic exercise. But one of the things which I saw, which I rather liked, said this. He bent down so he wasn't looking at her. So this woman who had been brought to a place of shame who was enormously vulnerable who was standing before someone with enormous moral and spiritual status with you know a teacher so that she didn't have to feel the weight of his gaze upon her. So that whatever look However he looked at her, she would have felt judged by him. She would have felt the weight of his disapproval because she felt that herself. And so what he does, in the face of all of these people pointing at her and saying, look at how terrible this woman is. What are you going to do about it? He turns his face away. So she doesn't have that burden an act of extraordinary mercy, and an act which I think uh, Paul tells us that when God looks on our sin, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So it's a model of what uh, God, in fact, does when he looks at our sin. He turns his face away and he looks at, in, in, in our case, at the purity of Jesus. And the second thing he does is he says to the people who had brought her there, who are trying to trap him, who are trying to exploit this woman. He says, any of you who have never been in her place, who have never felt this vulnerability, who have never been in a position where you needed to ask someone more powerful than you to be forgiving or to turn aside their anger or to bless you instead of curse you, if any of you have ever been in that position, then you have my leave to judge this woman. But if you, have never, if you have ever been the subject of judgment, if you've ever felt the shame that she's feeling now, leave. And one by one, starting with the oldest, who presumably found it easier to think of something, and going down to the youngest, who presumably found it easier to excuse their mistakes. They all left until there was no one there but the one person who did have the authority to judge. And interestingly, having said what he said, Jesus then crouches down and draws on the ground again. So that even they who had put the woman in this situation didn't have to feel the burden of his judgment upon them as they left. And then when he talks to her, he doesn't excuse her sin. He doesn't say, it's okay, don't worry about it. He says, go and sin no more. But the whole thing is done out of mercy and forgiveness and about Jesus not using his great holiness to burn her up. And so we have that model of mercy as the powerful and how they treat the weak. So the bit I always find most difficult in sermons is doing the like real-life application bit. Um, and, but as I was researching mercy, I found that fortunately for me, Um, the Catholics have made a list of ways that Christians can be merciful, so that was really helpful, so I'm just going to steal that. Uh, The Methodists have also got a list, and these are all the things on those two lists. Just have a look at them and drink them in. Feeding the hungry, visiting the sick. Clothing the naked, seeking justice, counselling the doubtful is an interesting one, addressing the needs of the poor, comforting the afflicted, seeking an end to oppression and discrimination, harbouring the harbourless. I wonder if you've been in the position of that young woman in any one of these areas, needing to appeal to the mercy of someone stronger than you for one of these things. Bearing wrongs patiently, that's an interesting one. I wonder if in the past week, or maybe there's a situation you know is coming up for you where you think you're going to be in a position of authority over someone else in one of these areas? How would Christ urge you to respond in that situation? Because mercy is the currency of God's love. It is how we show God's love to others. And these are all ways that we can show love to other people. And as I said, this series is about following Jesus to change the world. And if every Christian really thoroughgoingly committed themselves to these things, the world would change. It just would. There's something like two billion Christians on this planet. About one in three people are a Christian on this planet. If every one of them commits themselves to feeding the sick, suddenly we don't have any hungry people anymore. It just goes. There's a problem. And Christians can have the reputation for um, being like these Pharisees in this story. Maybe unfairly. Not always, though. For seeking out the sins of others. Gleefully naming and shaming And it, but if we committed ourselves to doing this instead, we would change the world. I just want to finish with a little thought. I wouldn't normally do this kind of thing. But this week, we have the opportunity, all of us, or virtually all of us, there are a couple of children here, to exercise an extraordinary power a power which uh, at least 50% of us wouldn't have had 100 years ago. And which most of us wouldn't have had 400 years ago. A power which many people on this planet still don't have. And when you go to the ballot box this Thursday, I'd urge you to consider that mercy is about how we use power To benefit people who do not have power. I'm not going to tell you who you should vote for in the light of that. But that is what mercy is. And so, even if it means voting for someone who won't benefit you, who would Christ urge you to vote for? Who will do this? Which party, which local candidate, which party leader will do this? Because mercy is the currency of God's love, the transferable unit of God's love. Amen.